0: Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can open up, uh, just kind of put a finger mark or or whatever you want to do to get there. Uh, We're going to get there in a little bit, but I do want to let you know that's where we're going to be. Uh, It'll be starting, I think, in verse 25. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 25. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about relationships, and in particular, we've been talking about our relationship to children. And uh, we've talked about two of the most important relationships you can have. You, we talked about grandparents. Uh, we talked about parents. And so those are, those are some of the most vital relationships in the lives of children. And so if we uh, understand that and if we know that and we know that those are the most influential sometimes we can be left with the question okay what is my role with children and so we want to talk about that we want to kind of wrap up this idea of how we relate to children uh, by talking about the rest of us those who aren't parents those who are not grandparents and this issue is significant and it's a significant because of future I mean, the children are the future of our world, of our country, of our church. And so if we as a church are not influencing the next generation for Jesus, we're going to get old and we're going to die off, and then we're not going to have a church anymore. And so it's important that we focus on this next generation and we think about what uh, impact we can have in their lives. Sometimes parents aren't the best parents in the world. And we know that, and we know people that are like that. Sometimes uh, the grandparents aren't always having everything together, and they themselves cannot raise children. And so what do we do in those situations? What do we as a church do when the parents aren't really good parents and the grandparents aren't raising their kids in the Lord? In 2015, there was an estimated 670,000 kids in the foster care system. Over half a million children who were not with their parents and not with their grandparents, and not because they did anything wrong, but totally because of whatever was happening in their lives of their parents. And that's a lot. I mean, that's more than what we often think about. The average age of those kids is about nine years old, and they said that, on average, they will stay in the foster care system for two years. Oftentimes, when we talk about the problems that our society has with children, we usually think of two different things. We usually talk about human trafficking, and that is terrible. That's something that that we need to work on as a society uh, to prevent and to stop. Uh, The other thing that we typically think about is abortion. And we think about uh, all the kids that are killed before they are even given a chance at life. In fact, uh, they say that there's more kids that are aborted each year than are in the foster care system. But for some reason, we don't usually talk about adoption, we don't usually talk about foster systems. And I wonder if some of it's because it's so close to us. You know, it is in Mexico, it is here in Missouri. Uh, Talking to the resource officer for the high schools, and he will tell you that there are 40 kids in our high school and middle school system that do not have a home. They're homeless, and they bounce from house to house, couch to couch, just finding a place to sleep overnight. And so this is a real problem. This is something that is happening in our neighborhoods. And I think it's important that we talk about it and that we recognize it. And one of the reasons why I think it's important is because God thinks it's important. Uh, In Psalm chapter 68, uh, we read these words. Sing to God. Sing praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. And then notice what it says. He is a father to the fatherless. A defender of widows is God and his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. And he leads out the prisoners with singing. See, our God is presented in the Old Testament time after time as a father to the fatherless. To those who do not have parents, to those who are mistreated by their parents, God is that for them. And he said, and we're told here in Psalm 68, one of the reasons why we are to praise God is because he sets the lonelies in families. God cares for children. And God cares for what happens in their lives, both physically and spiritually. And we have the power to influence children, even if they're not our own. And it's a power that we must seriously and so this is an issue that God cares about and it's an issue that we need to care about as well Uh, to talk about this issue I want to bring up a friend her name is Lexi you probably know her and uh, Lexi has a powerful testimony that we want to kind of discuss today Lexi is a freshman at a Central Christian College of the Bible and uh, you've probably seen her helping us in worship over the last uh, year. And so we would just wanna to talk to her about her story and, and what it has to say uh, about this issue. So Lexi, uh, thanks for coming. To begin from the beginning, you know what was your life like with your
1: family? I'd say life was barely life at all. It was like a point of darkness. Um, the first six years of my life begins in a trailer home in Minnesota. I have a younger brother, and shortly after he was born, my biological mom left us, and that left my biological dad with two young kids to take care of by himself. He was alcoholic and most likely bipolar, too, and that's a terrible combination. It's great for abuse, though, and um, he wanted to show dominance over us, and so he would just do things without explanation. He would not feed us. He would lock us in rooms for hours. um, He would make us hold matches that were lit and we couldn't let go, force soap in our mouth, just random stuff. And that kind of left an impression on, on me that I, okay, love is not something you have. You have to earn it. And also it left an impression of there's always something wrong with you. You can never be enough. Okay.
0: And so uh, so you said your mom left as soon as you're, how old were you when she left?
1: I would say like three or four.
0: Okay. All right. And And so what, so you're in this abusive relationship with your father, domineering over you. What, uh, what, was, what was the event that led up to you being rescued from this
1: situation? Um, my school like, noticed that we were getting skinnier, and um, we had bruises and scratches that we couldn't explain and that we couldn't cover up. And um, I was called down to the office on an overhead speaker at school, and I, w- I went down there, and there's a lady in this room. She basically said, tell me about your life at home. Well, I didn't want to do that, because my biological dad said, if you tell anybody about what happened at home, it's going to get worse. I couldn't really think of anything worse, so I didn't ever test it. Um, But I just thought, like, I have a younger brother, and I'm the oldest uh, sibling. So it's like my job to protect him. So that's why I told her everything. And then she just let me go back to school, like nothing happened. Went through the rest of the day, like we didn't even talk. And then I went on the bus. And uh, my brother wasn't there. I checked every seat to see if he was like pulling a prank or if he's sleeping or something, and he wasn't on the bus. And I had to enter the house by myself, which being in an abusive situation is terrifying in and of itself, because you're the only one. And I feel like the moment that I opened the door, my biological dad's first question was, where are your brother? And I said, well, he's your son. You should know where your child is. And then he yelled at me saying like, Um, that I'm a mistake and he gave me one job and I couldn't do it and all this random stuff. And we weren't expecting company, but somebody knocked on the door and forced themselves in and it ended up being two policemen. One grabbed my biological dad, the other one grabbed me. Uh, The policeman opened up a garbage bag and he said, put all your belongings in here, you're not coming back. I didn't really have anything. The only things I remember putting in the bag were like a Dr. Seuss book and Polly Pockets. I didn't really have any clothes and I didn't have any Hygiene materials, I think the only thing I had was a hairbrush. And um, I was put into a police car, and the only question I asked the, the policeman was, where are we going? And he said somewhere safe, but I didn't know what that meant, and so I didn't say anything the rest of the day. And thing.
0: you didn't know what it meant because you'd never experienced safe <laughs> yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, so where did you end up going?
1: I ended up going to a foster home. And we, um, I was reunited with my brother, which is really cool, because a lot of the times, um, siblings are, like, spread apart, and you might not see them. And we were in there for about six months. We bounced between two homes, and, um, my favorite one was an older couple. They started bringing us to church, and actually, they are the ones that brought me to faith. There was this play that they had put on, um, I think, like, the kids had put on, older kids, and, um. It was basically about when you die, where are you going? Heaven or hell? You have two choices. Which is kind of a hard topic thinking about what age I was. But there's a whole bunch of scenes, and the only one that I can kind of remember is the one where there, there's this girl. She's going to youth group for weeks, and every week she'd be like, Mom, can you just come like, and try it once? You don't have to come every time. I'm just asking you to try it. And Mom would be like, next time, next time. But after so many times, there was no next time. And unfortunately, that last night when she asked again, um, they got into a fatal car accident. Both of them died. And they were up at the gate. And the mom was dragged away from the daughter. There was this, like, cloaked figure in black. And there was so much screaming. And there was a lot of crying. It was scary. But then there, there was a man that came. And he was in white. And he hugged the little girl and said, my child, you've come home. And I had never seen that much love from a man before. And I was like, if this is a man that I want to follow, he is the one I want to give my life to. And um, shortly after that, I actually met my adopted parents.
0: Okay, And so so you are eventually adopted out of this situation. Mm -hmm. Uh, What what was causing your parents to uh, look for adoption?
1: My parents were, well, not my parents. My mom was barren. Um, They had tried a lot of different things. But after a while, it gets very expensive to have kids. And she went on a prayer run, which is exactly what it sounds like. She was running and praying at the same time. And she's basically praying about us, but she didn't know it. She was praying for kids. And um, God spoke to her so powerfully that she actually stopped running. And he basically said, you are going to have kids. And she was like, great, I'm going to get pregnant. Everything's going to work like normal, all this stuff. <laughs> Turns out she was wrong. Um, she heard from a coworker worker how she thought about adoption. And they did, but they didn't look into it they're actually looking at two girls from Washington. For some reason, it fell through, and it didn't work. Um, But then they somehow found out about us. We had a vague description on a website. I don't think our picture or our names were on there, my brother and I. Um, But then they looked into us, and then we actually met at Burger King for the first time. And uh, my biological dad had custody over us, so we had to, like, bounce back between their house and then the foster care system.
0: And then your, your biological dads as well? Yeah, no, no, just okay. the foster right.
1: care system. And we'd have to see them like once a month. And uh, then officially adopted on July 10th of 2007. So after oh, a year of being kind of bounced back.
0: All right, so, so now you're adopted. And, and how was your life like with your adopted family compared to your biological?
1: So much better. No abuse, obviously. Um, I was shown a lot of love. Even though I hadn't been shown it before, and I was given that childhood that I wouldn't have had regard like before. Also, they were they loved God too, so I got to know God, and I actually was baptized after. There's like communication cards in front of our church, and every week I'd put, "I want to be baptized." And after like a year of saying that, they're like, "Fine, if you want to be baptized that bad, we'll baptize you." And it was a great moment. But just because that I was in like a new situation doesn't mean my past didn't follow me. And um, if you think about it, me being about seven or eight years old, that was my first Christmas. That was my first time dressing up for Halloween and getting candy or playing outside and not worrying about being beat up about it later. So I was actually able to be a kid. And um, things that don't sound like a big deal were big deal for me. So a weird example that I always give is, I was afraid to go in the bathroom <laughs> because when I would go in there, the door would be shut behind me and I didn't know when I'd go back out. And so when I was with my adoptive parents, I'd keep the bathroom door open because that way I don't have to worry about anything.
0: And this is because your dad would lock you in He the would lock
1: me in for hours. Without yeah. the
0: light on, right?
1: Yeah. I was too short, I couldn't reach the light. So It was dark in there, it smelled weird, it was creepy. Um, and at my adoptive house, my mom was like, okay, I'm gonna shut the door and once you calm down, I'll open it and you'll know that you're fine. Well, the moment she shut her door, or that door, I started screaming and crying, and I wasn't in my adoptive home anymore. I felt like I was back with my biological dad. Um, But then once I had calmed myself down, she opened the door, and she gave me a big hug and said, like, I'm so proud of you. You, like, worked through that, and you know that we're here. And so just something that you wouldn't think of was a big deal for me. And there's a lot of other examples, but I'm not going to go into details. And... um, And I had a great childhood. Things were, like, great up until about junior year of high school. They say that a traumatic past hits you in about 10 years, and it hit me. And the lies that I've been fighting off for so long kind of caught up. And mainly, the ones that were going through my head was, okay, your parents don't leave you unless if there's a reason. So what's wrong with you? Why did your biological mom leave? Like, it's probably your fault. And then my other question was, okay, so you're taken out of your situation. It was never resolved. Why were you being abused? What did you do wrong? What did you not figure out? Something's wrong with you.
0: And so you thought all the problem was on you. On me, of,
1: yeah. yeah. And that kind of turned into anxiety. And I was just overthinking everything and overanalyzing, basically thinking that everyone was out to get me. And um, I never lost my faith, but it definitely wasn't as strong as it could have been. And I was writing in a prayer journal. And I said, "Um, God, I have no idea what's happening. I know you put me in a great situation, but right now it's really hard. And I don't know what's going on, but like your will be done. And I said, Amen. And I feel like the moment that I was done with that prayer, like the room kind of felt like it twisted. And my heart was racing really fast and I couldn't breathe. And I wanted to cry, but I didn't feel like I had any tears left. And the only thought that was coming through my head was there's no hope. There's no hope, and it felt like it just kept repeating. That was the only thing I could think of. And after that was over, I didn't know it then, but it was a panic attack. Um, I basically thought, so if you're in so much pain, like, you shouldn't have pain. That shouldn't be a thing that you should have anymore. So how do you end it? And so I thought about all the ways I could kill myself, and I thought about pills. I knew exactly where they were. I knew what I could take. But there's a good chance of me being, like, resuscitated, and I didn't want to deal with the after effects of my adopted parents feeling th- like they weren't enough because they gave me a good future. And so I thought about guns, but they're locked up in a safe. And then I thought about cutting, but I didn't want attention. I wanted help. So for some reason, I resorted to not eating. I wasn't really eating in the first place, so now I just really wasn't eating at all. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but a couple weeks after that, my friends told my teacher, which told my parents about how much I was struggling. I was that good at hiding it. And um, I remember that night I was working at Subway, like I always do. It was in Minnesota, though. And my mom came in, and she never comes into work. She knows where I am. I tell her I'm truthful. And she came in, and she was so pale. And she was searching the room. And when she saw me, she almost looked relieved. And she did get a sub, but I don't think that's the reason why she was there. I think she was checking to see if I was where I said I'd be. And that night, I got home, and my parents called me to their room. They said, what's happening to you? Like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm stressed out with schoolwork. Just giving, like, vague stuff. And they're like, okay, we already know. Just tell us. (laughs) We want to hear it from your perspective. And I told them everything. There was a lot of crying. It was super hard. But they basically said, like, you can come to us for anything. We're not them. We're different. And um, also, they pointed me towards counseling. And I got counseling, but also God called me to be the ultimate counselor as well. So I got a lot of help.
0: God, God called you to come to him too yeah. to help. Okay. <laughs> like I have
1: to trust him. I can trust people, but if I don't trust him, it's not gonna fall into right. place.
0: Okay, so. cool. And so so what is your story how does your story give you perspective on who God is?
1: It gives me a lot of perspectives on who God is. Um but some of the main ones that I've learned is God can change any situation. I know when I was um in my situation in the abusive home, I didn't really think about getting out of it. I just thought, this is my life, and how do I survive? Um, but God took me out of it. I also thought, um, God can change any person. I know that my biological dad beat me, but he is now a Christian and is married to a different woman, um, and they're great together. So it's just crazy to see, like, the person that gave so much pain is so much better and changed. God loves everybody, victims and abusers. It doesn't matter and then also, God forgives, so sh- so should I, which is super hard for me, but I'm working on
0: it. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, so what 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 are some, some advice? What's some things that we can take away from from your story?
1: I'd say if you're called and or convicted to adopt, don't wait, do it. I would say it's probably one of the hardest things to do, just from hearing my adoptive parents, would say, like hearing what they've said about it, but it's also the most rewarding because you're giving a child that's not going to have a future of future. And you just being there loving and pointing towards God is going to be enough, even if you don't feel like you're helping at all. Also, if you feel called or convicted, be like a foster family. <laughs> because there's a lot of kids that, um, because there's not enough foster homes, are actually like either stuck in their situation or they're moved to like a different state or something, because there's not enough around. Um, If you notice something and you don't feel like you can help yourself tell somebody who can help so like some kind of official I get help through my school, and so you can go to somebody who knows what to do And if a kid is transitioning and you're not sure how to help because you can't take them in um, Just like offer up your home or something just say like for a couple hours You can come over and study or whatever That way they're not in their situation anymore and they can get away for it for a while. And if you see something, say something. Don't just sit there idly because you're almost the one that's doing the same thing as the person that's abusing, which sounds really harsh, but it's kind of true. And also pray for all of us. There's so much power in prayer.
0: All right. Thank you, Lexi. Let's let's thank her for (laughs) her story. Thank you. So, so Lexi's testimony I think is important in this topic just because it shows how powerful we can be in impacting children. Uh, her foster parents, they didn't have to take her in, but they chose to take her in. Uh, and they led her to Jesus. Her adoptive parents didn't have to adopt her, but they chose to adopt her, and it led to who she is today. Uh, and, and there's just a vast difference that can happen. Uh, in this if we are willing to step up and and lean into these children uh, that are desperately needed. Uh, We want to to look at this from the perspective of Samuel today. Uh, We see that uh, God is very much concerned about children. I mean, he cares about them. Uh, There's a society uh, that for many years did not care about children in any way, shape, or form. Uh, Most of the world, that's how it's been. And so God radically changes this in the lives of the Israelites. And what God kind of teaches us throughout the Bible is this, is that while we may not be the parents or the grandparents, anyone can influence the life of a child. Anyone has that power. It just takes time and investment. So when parents aren't around, when parents are abusive, when grandparents uh, are are not physically able to take care of their kids or their parents don't know who Jesus is, it's our responsibility as the church, it's our responsibility uh, as individuals, as Christians, to look after these kids. Former professor of mine, he works with foster kids all the time. And one of the statistics that he always throws out is this we may have 670,000 kids go through the foster care system, but there's roughly 300,000 churches in America. And so if we as a church in America could just take up two kids, we could impact this next generation for Jesus. Uh, in the Old Testament, there was a form of worship. Uh, called the Worship to Molech. Molech was an idol uh, that the people of Canaan worshipped. And when it came time to sacrifice to Molech, uh, they would not sacrifice animals, and they would not sacrifice the first fruits of their crops. What they would sacrifice is children. And they would take this idol that had a hole cut out of its belly and hands that were hanging right here. And they would superheat this idol until it got super hot. And they would throw the baby between the hole into the hands of the idol. And most of these babies did not survive. And God speaks to the Israelites in Leviticus chapter 20. And he says these words to them about this particular form of worship. He says to Moses, "Say to the Israelites, any Israelites or any foreign residing in Israel who sacrifices any of his children to Molech is to be put to the death. The members of the community are to stone him. I myself will set my face against him and I will cut him off from his people, for by sacrificing his children to Molech, he has defiled my sanctuary and profaned my holy name." So essentially God takes an interest in this issue. And we have to understand that children were being sacrificed. That's crazy to us. But God cared about children. And so God says, you are not to sacrifice to Molech. And if you see someone doing that, do something about it. And then he continues by saying this. But if the members of the community close their eyes when the man sacrifices one of his children to Molech, and if they fail to put him to the death, then I will be against them. And so what God says is, you have a responsibility. When you see somebody doing this terrible thing, your responsibility is not to close your eyes and pretend that it's not happening. Your responsibility is to stop it. And yes, we don't sacrifice to Moloch any longer. But we have people in our communities that are treating their kids pretty badly And we cannot afford to continue to close our eyes to the problem and ignore it. And in fact, if we're going to close our eyes and ignore it, we deserve the punishment that's talked about here. And so we have to be aware of this issue. We have to be uh, looking for these things that are going on. And we have to stand up for the rights of these children who can't stand up for themselves. Samuel uh, is a great story to talk about adoption. Hannah gives uh, Samuel over to Eli, and it's not because she can't take care of him, but she does it in a little bit different way to dedicate him to the Lord. Sorry. And so we have this, this wonderful image and seeing what Eli does in this situation, and I think there's two principles we can take from this story and apply it to our lives as we are dealing with uh, children that are not our own. So let's look at this, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 25 through 38. That is not the right numbers, 25 through 28, there's not 38 verses in this chapter. Uh, The first principle I think we can see in this is this, sometimes children are thrust upon us to take care of. All right. And so here's what happens. Uh, When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and Hannah said to Eli, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live. I am the woman who stood here beside you, praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I have asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. uh, He will be given to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. Uh, notice what happens in this story. Okay, Eli is an older man. Uh, we find out that his sons are practically grown. He's probably already sent them off to college or wherever. And now he's being given this young child, probably two or three years old. And I don't know about you, but when my children are that age, I'm probably ready for a break. All right. And so I can't imagine what Eli is going through his head as this child is brought to him and said, Will you raise him? Sometimes, without us asking, children are thrust upon us for us to take care of. And we need to be like Eli, and we need to accept that challenge. Chantelle was about six years old when I first met her. Uh, we had come in contact with their family through the, her Chantelle's cousins. Uh, but Chantelle, when we met her, first was living with one of her aunts, and would bounce back and forth from one aunt to the other for the years that we knew her. Uh, her mom had been thrown into prison because of drugs, uh, and, and so she was not in the picture. And so Chantelle was in this situation where she was being taken care of, and her aunts were really good people, but there was no Jesus. And we started to take Chantel on Wednesday nights to, it wasn't a it was something else, GA girls or whatever, Uh, And we we took her there, and and we picked her up on Sunday mornings and brought her to church, and she would spend Sunday afternoons with us. She would eat dinners with us on Wednesdays, and we would just spend time talking about her life and talking about school and talking about boys. I didn't talk about boys. My wife talked about boys. But they were talking about boys together. And for six years of her life, we were able to teach her about Jesus. And it wasn't something that we asked for. It wasn't something that we are like, looking for some kid in the community that needed to know about Jesus. We simply got to know who she was by accident. And there are kids in your community that sometimes they just need somebody to accidentally fall into their lives. And it might be the neighbor kid. And their life situation might be terrible, but their life situation may not be terrible. Chantel's was not necessarily bad She had people that cared for her they just didn't know jesus and as a church we have to take responsibility not just for the physical safety of kids but for their spiritual well-being as well and sometimes that happens not when we're looking for and not when we're asking for it but when they are thrust upon us the second principle we can take from this story is this while we make may while we may make mistakes it doesn't always disqualify us from helping raise other children. Notice what happens in chapter 2. Eli was not perfect. All right, Eli, Eli was a mess. His, his kids, they turned out terrible. All right, they were doing all kinds of things uh, as, as priests of the Lord that they should not have been doing. And Eli actually confronts them in verse 22 of chapter 2. This is what he says. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all of Israel, and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so he said to them, "Why do you do such a things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours, my sons. No, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against God, or one sins sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord," Who will intercede for them? And his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And in verse 26, we read about the boy Samuel, who continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And so we're given this contrast, right, of, of Eli's sons, who are just not good people, and Eli's ward who grows in stature with the Lord and with people and is someone who loves God. And I think sometimes we look at our own children and we see how they didn't always turn out as good as we maybe hoped that they would. And so we disqualify ourselves from helping other children out. You know, we think that because we failed in the past that we will fail in the future. But the reality is, is that God is calling all of us to raise these kids. God's calling us to find these kids that are in desperate need of somebody to help them and protect them. And we cannot afford to continue to close our eyes to it. They are the future. And the future is at stake if we're not willing to grab these kids and love them and share with them about Jesus. And yes, we may have made mistakes with our own kids, but it doesn't mean that we'll continue to make mistakes. And so my challenge to you this this week and listening to Lexi's story and seeing how impactful it can be if we as a church stand up and say enough is enough, if we can look into the lives of these kids who need help, my challenge is that we take that responsibility for ourselves, that we recognize that there are kids out there that need help. And sometimes we may not be asking for it, but they fall into our lives. And we have a responsibility not to shove them off, but to show them who Jesus is. So show them Jesus. Be like Eli. Choose to raise them as best as you can. And maybe you don't Take them into your homes, and that's okay. But maybe you support the foster families that are in our church now. You be grandparents. These kids need to know who Jesus is. And if we want a church that is 50 years later still strong, then it means that we start with our kids. Let me pray for you. Dear God, we're grateful that you are a father to the fatherless, that you seek out the lonely and you provide families for them. We thank you for this church family that we have, this deeper bond that only comes through knowing you. I pray in our lives, Lord, that we will not ignore this issue, that we will not continue to live life like we've always lived it, but rather that we will seek to find ways to bring rescue to those who are in need. Father, help us to love on these children. Help us to show the kindness and the mercy that you have given each and one of us. Help us, Father, to seek out. Help us to show them that you are the good, good Father. It's your name we pray. Amen.